0: We made it to season two of a podcast that has nothing to do with social media. Yes. We know you're disappointed <laughs> that we're not still talking about social, but we're not. Something totally different uh, this time around. And today specifically uh, is actually an interview with someone else. Matt
1: Vanderven. he is the pastor at Calvary Chapel Harrisburg, which is located in, according to the website, Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, It's also called Calvary Chapel, Harrisburg, West Shore. And they're online at ccharrisburg.org. And I explain in the interview why I wanted to interview Matt for you. But uh, I think this is great. This is a lot to learn uh, for all of us. But I think a lot of really relevant things to the young adults group. So, Tony, did we just want to roll that? And then we'll come back and we'll wrap up afterwards. Yep. All right. So here it is, the interview Done over Zoom with Matt Vandervin, pastor at Calvary Chapel Harrisburg. Matt, thank you so much for being here with us today. My privilege. I'm excited about this. So just a little background for you. I think I said this to you when I called, but just so everyone can hear it. A few years ago, you were at staff meeting here at Calvary Philly. Do you remember? Do we?
2: I, I do. Say three years ago. It was probably about Something three like years that. ago. That's right. That's right.
1: Yeah. So. On that day, you just gave a few-minute version of the story of how you came to uh, plant and pastor the church there in Harrisburg. And I remember literally thinking, after you had finished that story, I want to record this and I want to share this with my group uh, you know, or share it somehow. And recording was what I thought because I didn't know that we would necessarily get you out to the to the group. So I want to share this with the young adults group of Philly. I think this would be great for them to hear. I was blessed by it. I went home and told my wife. So, uh, you know, here we are, three years later. We started this little podcast, and this idea just never left me. So, uh, you know, again, really appreciate you being willing to tell us a story. So, would you mind just giving us uh a little bit of how, like, where were you had been living? what happened in your heart and mind, and then how you ended up going from there to where you are now, which is pastor in the church there in Harrisburg.
2: Sure. I, I can remember it was uh, around May 2014, and uh, I was attending Calvary Chapel Finger Lakes, uh, Pastor Scott Gallatin up there in Rochester, New York, and um, had been attending a number, number of years. I've I've lost count how many years, but had been very involved in the fellowship, children's ministry, different things like that. And Um, The Lord had been seeking my heart specifically. He had given me Ezekiel chapter 2 and laid it on my heart. I I remember um, I worked for Microsoft at the time, and I would drive three, four hours, you know, just for a one-hour meeting. And I remember one evening, went to bed a little bit early, uh, and that night I was, uh, I believe it was the Lord, I, I woke up and I was I was severely convicted because he would put on my heart Harrisburg and the people, and I had I'd never even been there, but he had put them on my heart. I was talking to a brother that uh grew up in Harrisburg, but he pastored a church down near Greencastle, and we were talking and um it was just he said, pray, man, pray, you know, the neighborhoods I grew up in, things are are really bad, things are super Uh, Just hairy and deep there. He goes, You know, there's a lot of spiritual warfare. And it seems like over the years, many folks had thought about maybe going out and planning, but nobody, it never came to fruition. And he was just broken, just broken. So he had grown up in Harrisburg? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, 19th Street. He had actually grown up on 19th Street. But you had no history. No history. Didn't know anybody, didn't know anything. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I, I turned around, I was praying with him for a number of months. And as I mentioned, I, I, one night I'm, I'm convicted, I woke up um, from the you know with the Lord just waking me up, and I remember going down to my family room, my wife was sleeping, the kids were sleeping, I was trying not to wake them up and opening my Bible and I felt the Lord so clearly pressing my heart he says, "You'll drive four hours or three and a half hours that's about what the commute was from Rochester, New York to Albany for a one hour meeting, but you won't drive four hours to Harrisburg to feed my sheep." I was just <laughs> I was broken. I just began to weep. Uh, You know, it was a very private thing at that moment. I I don't even think I told my wife the next day I was just broken. And um, I was like, all right, Lord, I I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this. I remember going to my pastor, Pastor Scott, and I said, hey, what do you know? And he said, "Um, you know, what's the Lord showing you? And I, I shared what I just shared with you. And he says, what are you waiting for? I didn't expect that. You got to do this, this the program. Well, you know, I, it was nothing like that. And so I remember just packing up the kids and my wife in a minivan and literally just driving four and a half hours to this place. We didn't know anybody here. And I remember going to this place called Prosser Hall. It was next to a police station.
1: So wait, wait, can I stop you? So you literally drive to Harrisburg, which is a city. And did you, how did you decide like where you would get out of your car and start? Walking
2: around, like what? So I had prayed, and I was just like, "Lord." And the Lord started putting on my heart. Camp Hill, which is near Harrisburg, and okay, um, knew a family down there. Kind of talked to them on the phone a couple times, and and they said, "Hey, you know, there's this couple different places." I said, "Is there a place you can rent?" Normally, I would have done it out of the house, but there was. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody's house to use or anything. So <laughs> I just went to Prosser Hall. I remember walking in that day, and I went to the secretary at the desk. It's the sort of Camp Hill Borough Township Hall. And I said, uh, I'd like to rent a room or something here. Can I do that? And she's like, what do you want to do? And I, I said, I, I want to teach the word of God. I just want people to come in and be encouraged and be blessed. And she sort of looked at me, kind of turned her head. And, and she said, uh, yeah, yeah, you can do that. And I'm like, that's praise the Lord. And I'm blown away. What year was this? And that was actually that was November, of November of
1: 2014.
2: November 2014, I came okay. Yeah, pay $25 for your, the application and you know the whole thing. And, uh, you know, my joke was, I wasn't even sure if my wife or the kids were even going to get out of the car and attend and, uh, you know, (laughs) they were going to go for pizza or something. And, uh, I just remember that first night I just, I stood in there and, um, kind of put out a little poster outside that just said Bible study,
1: you know? And wait, 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 I just want, I see, this is what I love about this. So you literally (laughs) rented a room for $25 in a town hall and put up a little sign that said Bible study. Yeah. This is great. Let's go to that first day, right? You had driven from Rochester.
2: At what time did you leave Rochester-ish in the afternoon? or Probably around, I think we got in the car around 10.30, 11. We got down there around 4.35, you know, something like that. Stopped for, you know, bathroom breaks.
1: Let's see what happens if we put out a sign and say we're doing a Bible study. Yeah. So what happened on that first night? What was it like? So a couple people were walking by.
2: They saw the sign, so they came in. And they wanted to stay for a Bible study. Yeah, they just came. In, what are you doing? I said, well, "It's the Bible study." And they're like, "What book are you gonna teach on?" And I'm like, "The Book of Matthew." And they're like, oh, "Okay." And so I went, I ran and scurried and got some chairs because I I didn't know. <laughs> so I just put out some chairs, and I'm like, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna." And uh, we took a makeshift uh, tablecloth. I remember we had one in the back. We kind of put it over a chair, and I used that as a makeshift pulpit. It just anything. I didn't care what I had, just something so I could read, you know, the Word of God. And uh, and we just. Started there, man, and that was it. And just that wasn't your first trip down to Harrisburg, correct? I'd come down once before to to visit my friend. I was telling you about that it was from Harrisburg, but okay. he he wasn't able because his uh, assistant pastor's wife she ended up developing um, a, ki- a kidney cancer, so she was moving, so he he and I couldn't hook up. But he said, hey, you could stay at my house if you need it. So I remember going downtown Harrisburg and just going from the stores, you know, knocking on some doors and just saying hey how you doing what do you guys how, you know can I pray for you what do you need just that's what I remember
1: being impressed by the first time I heard you talk about this was you just sort of were wandering around the city doing what we would I think call like street witnessing almost just sort of seeing who you could talk to seeing what would happen now how many times did you make that kind of trip did you do that one time or was that a bunch of times you went to Harrisburg you just sort of walk around and talk to people
2: just one time just because I was that trying, once. just wanted to get the vibe for what people were believing. I mean, I was hearing things like aliens and all these other things that people were believing and and I knew I that was like confirmation. I knew the Lord was calling me here because people had a lot more faith than I did, man, because they were willing to trust an alien or a ship or something like that, rather than right. the concrete word of God we had. And I, I just like, okay, Lord, now I get it.
1: Okay, so trip two was uh the room in the the town hall, so to speak, with the sign out it says Bible study, and two random people that walked by and sat and came to your study. So so, where did things go from there?
2: So I remember going back, and I was telling uh, at that time I was also talking to uh, Pastor Jerry Paradise. He and I were chatting, and he was kind of saying, "Man, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm so inadequate." And and he was like, "No, praise the Lord. Make sure that they're the best loved and best fed sheep, you know, ever." And I was like, "All two of them, okay, man. I love Jerry, man. He was he was such an encouragement, just such a." Uh, really, a father figure like that, and so he gave me encouragement. I also went back to Pastor Scott and Pastor Tony up at Finger Lakes, and um, and I remember saying to Pastor Tony, I said, "Hey, you know, here's how it went," and he's like, "Wow, that's really good, two people." And I'm like, "Yeah, I didn't even know if Lisa and the kids would join." And oh, I just want to say, look, anyone who's tried to do anything for the Lord,
1: going from zero to two—that's big. It's harder to go than going two to five. I, like going from nothing to something is the most amazing thing. It literally, it's like this is a miracle. This was nothing, and now something is happening. That's that's just awesome.
2: Yeah, and it's it's scary. I'm I'm not going to lie. It was scary because it, it, I couldn't. I was I was so grateful that people even had a desire to come in and just open a Bible. I mean, that was everything to me, you know. And I remember going back and I said to Pastor Tony, I said, "Um, and I don't, I don't know what I'm doing." And you know, we we're kind of talking about that and. He said, "I'll give you one hint. Like, you you may want to put like a couple like posters in a park somewhere." He goes, "Cause I remember, I'll never forget. He said to me, He goes, he goes. What do you think? He's gonna write it, and God's just gonna write it in the sky.' Go see uh, Matt at seven o'clock, Prosser Hall on Wednesday, and he was just like, like, at least put up like a sign in a couple places.' And so the next time we went down, we went down a couple hours earlier and put up a couple signs, uh, like little posters that we kind of made on just." you know word or something put them up at a pizza place around the corner put up a couple at a grocery store and a library and then the next study bible study we had we went from like two people to five people and then it was seven people and then man i started just really humbled it was like it couldn't have been maybe a month not even and all of a sudden there was 25 and 30 people and i i just was completely amazed
0: at what god was doing
1: That's still 2014, beginning 2015. Just maybe where did like what was the progression of the, the work with the body of Christ there from then on?
2: You know, as you know, in Calvary Chapel, one of the things that's big is that, hey, uh, you know, Pastor Bill Galton, you guys know him. We all know, you know, uh, Pastor Chuck always taught, hey, if you're going to minister to a group of people, you ought to be living with them. You ought to, you ought to have things in common with them. And so they had begun talking to me and saying, hey, you know, you need to be praying about what the Lord has for you, whether it's time to move from Rochester, New York, you know, leave your job, leave your security, just leave the house, just go.
1: And that was just a couple months in you began that discussion once you, had, once you realized, like, hey, there's a few dozen people coming to this, this is real.
2: So it was interesting. My son was just recently diagnosed with Crohn's disease. So oh, he was man. 10 years old and they were giving us terrible news. You know, he had this perianal Crohn's and they were saying, hey, you know, we're not sure how long he's going to live, whatever, because it was a very severe case. And I remember going to Lisa saying, man, the timing of this, it just doesn't make sense. It was just heavy on my heart. And I remember ever so gently the way the Lord just kept saying, you know, um, it, I, I don't want to go off into a separate story, but basically as we were going to the hospital to kind of get him treatment and different things like that, a nurse comes up to us. We don't even know her. Out of the blue, just gives an envelope to my wife, and it's a Joshua 1 nine. You know, and it was just be courageous. Mm-hmm. Don't be dismayed. You know, and it was that constant encouragement that the Lord was giving us. And so, um, I remember going back to Lisa and saying, you know, I think it's time we move, but um, you know, I, I want you to hear from the Lord. You know, I, I've heard from the Lord. So, um, in the deepest aspect of my heart, in depths of my heart, I I wanted, again, like all of us, I wanted confirmation. Lord, I'm not imagining this. I'm not going crazy. You know, what am I doing here? And I remember saying, Lord, if this is you, I, I just pray, Jesus, please give my, my wife a word. And, and I have four boys. Give my, give my son Preston, the one that just got recently diagnosed. Please, Lord, I'm not going to say anything to him or her about it. I just want to know you did it. And I'll never forget, it was three days later after I would prayed that prayer, Preston comes up to me and he goes, Dad. And I'm like, yeah, honey, what's up? And he goes, Daddy, we got to move. And I'm like, what? And he goes, God told me it's going to be okay. Oh, Wow. And I'm like, God told me, he says, wherever I go, he's going to be with me and I'm going to be healthy and okay. And I began again, just to sob, like this kid at 10 had more faith than his dad. And I was just wrecked by that. And I just, I've never forget it. So from that point, Lisa had got a word too. Hers was like two weeks later. And we all sat down as a family, got on our knees and we said, Lord, We've said it before, you're you're ours, we're yours, and we don't know what this is going to look like. We don't know. Are we going to even have a job? Where are we going to live? And so we just um, called down, found a place we could rent. rented a house. And uh, right around that same time, it was so cool, that step of faith to move, uh, I got a call from Microsoft. There was a guy that was leading the Mid-Atlantic team, and he said, hey, uh, Matt, would you ever consider moving to Pennsylvania? And, and I just was like, wait a minute, what? What? He literally says that to me. And I go, um, <laughs> I probably should have adju- adjusted the HR system. We moved like a few you know, weeks, a month, month or whatever it was, six weeks wow. ago. And he's like, okay, great. Well, you're already here. He's like, would you be willing to take on the Mid-Atlantic uh, role? And I was like, uh, yeah. And I just remember going up to the Lord and I'm like, you know, where you guide, you provide. Every single time through this whole experience that just trusting the Lord. There were times where, Lord, man, I didn't know what I was doing. And it was, it was not a blind faith, but it was definitely like, take a step, and then I'm going to show you more. Take a step, and I'm going to show you more. This is it. You're not going to be able to figure it out. There's not a program to this. There's not an algorithm. Being a, you know, a pragmatic guy like I am, I want things laid out. I was very mathematical. I want none of that. And, and he purposed to do that just to show me his sovereignty. And so, you know, he gives us the job. He provides us a place to live. Uh, We start going with the fellowship, and they're blessed, and then they start coming up to us and saying, hey, you guys think you, you know, you want to go Sundays? And I'm like, Sundays? I'm like, we're just, I thought this was just a Bible study, you know? And, And they said, no. They're like, the Lord's doing something here. And I said, yeah, we're a family. I like this. And that's it. And we started going Sundays, and I think it was, Probably a year to a year and a half, not even, maybe a year. and We were already living down here, because I remember it was June of 2015, we were down here. And by that point, we were going Sundays, and we had about 100 people already at that point, faithfully coming. And then we knew um, when we started out growing that building by January of 2016 or so, because um, we could only—we we ended up moving from Prosser Hall to a hardware store. He was asking three grand, right? Remember, I'm paying $25, right, a week. We didn't want to put a box out. Like, we didn't want to do anything like that in the beginning sure. because too much of that's going on. I was like, Lord, you've got this. There's no reason we need to touch any of this. I don't want your f- man's fingerprints on it. And so he turned around, and he was just providing, and— uh, it wasn't long that we said, okay, we're going to go. I remember going to this hardware store and I invited just like, I don't know, 25, 50 people out and they came and we all held hands and we prayed in this hardware store. And I remember going to the guy afterwards, his, his name was Harry Fetro and sweetheart of a guy. He, he turned around and I, I said, look, I know you're asking 3000. I said, I'm going to be just transparent with you. We have a thousand dollars on our account right now. How would you take a thousand a month? And I said, by the way, I don't even have a security deposit. And he's like, what? And so um, he was walking out to take some trash out of the building. And I remember I said, I'll I'll carry the trash with you. And I took the trash. He drops his keys as he was bending over to put trash in his dumpster. He drops his keys into the dumpster and it falls to the bottom. And I remember um, I I did what anybody would do. I jump in. He's an older man. He was like, you know, he's not that old, but he was like 75, 76. I jump in to get his keys and I go in and he's like, you're a pastor? And you know, I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm, I just love the Lord. You know, he's just looking at me because like, I'm breaking all kinds of molds for this guy. Yeah, what are you? <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? You're just jumping in. I'm like, yeah, you know, so I get his keys, I get out. And he says, what did you say you could pay again? I said, I can pay a thousand. And I said, um, by the way, I, know there's, I noticed there's no furnace in there. This is a hardware store. You had this. I said, I also need you, you to, you know, put a, put a $7,000 <laughs> furnace in. And uh, I said, I'll help you install it. You know, we'll install it if you can come up with the money. We just don't have the money. And I, I know the Lord's showing us this. And he's like, I can't believe I'm saying this. I, I okay, I'm going to, all right, yes, let's do it. We were in there for a few months. We, we I said, everybody bring your lawn chairs. Everybody would bring lawn chairs in. We just set up in a circle. We had like a hundred people all around this basic tile floor, simple hardware store. And uh, at that point, I had moved up. I, I used a chair with a tablecloth as a pulpit. So I'd really there moved up at that point. <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, it was, it was sweet. It was just sweet. Every week, just growing and then started pouring into people, getting to know them and loving on them. And then, you know, the Lord knitting their, my heart to them and their hearts being knit to me. And it was just, it was sweetness, man. I, I, I will never regret, ever regret stepping Uh, regardless if it was just one soul, I will never regret stepping into the will of the Lord.
1: And now you have what anyone would consider a church community there, maybe look even a little more established.
2: Oh my. So you got to fast forward another year or so from that. And, uh, to we we go from 100 we outgrow the place the lord moves us into a 10,000 square foot building <laughs> we're uh we're like now we got to pay 3400 dollars, and they wanted 8 grand here so we're like hey will you accept you know three thousand thirty four hundred? the guy came back <laughs> says yes we move in uh within the first 3 months uh we had to turn around and add another service because we could only fit 160 170 into the sanctuary so we had to take and we had to do another service. We have a few hundred now, 300 plus or whatever it is. And I don't know. I don't count, but whatever it is. And then um, from there, the Lord had, uh, last year had me put it on my heart to establish a school, to start a kindergarten. Uh, you know, Deuteronomy, we were just happened to go through that passage and you know write it on the, you know, just the walls everywhere. The Word of God for these young kids. And so, we opened a school. We had four students our first year. We hired a teacher in faith. Uh, and this year we now have K through 5th. Or fourth, excuse me, K through fourth grade. Uh, all our classes are full. We have three full-time teachers now. Uh, the, the fellowship has grown. We now have a, three secretaries hired full-time and uh, three, two different assistant pastors. Myself. Now we're looking to uh, build a building. We actually have uh, we've outgrown this space, and so we're looking to build a building that can hold somewhere between five hundred to a thousand in the sanctuary, and and also you know more space for the schools. So.
1: Love, love the story. Thank you so much. I, I'm, I just want to throw a couple questions at you. Um, a couple for young adults in general. That's who's listening to this. And most of our group, I'd say, is late teens, early 20s, and just post-college, like just getting out of college. And then I have a couple questions for young men thinking about church you know, ministry and planning in specific, which is a much smaller subset, but I think really important. Um, what do you think, when you, you're working for Microsoft, what do you think stirred you up? to really want to make this kind of life change? Like, was there anything in particular? Was it just talking to your friend and hearing the story of what was going on in Harrisburg?
2: You know, I remember going through the book of Acts. Pastor Scott was going through the book of Acts at that time. And uh, I remember just sitting there and, you know, just the anointing of the Holy Spirit, spirit Spirit-driven. That's all I just kept hearing in my head, Spirit-driven, Spirit-driven. And everything up to that point, not that I wasn't walking with the Lord, certainly I was, but... It was really about my family, my kids, and or even just me as a young man, you know, at that time, and just looking at this. And it was others focused, just putting my attention yeah. on others.
1: You have any advice for someone who's in their late teens, early twenties, maybe just getting out of college, about you know choosing a life path? Big, big thing for a lot of the the people in our group. You know, any thoughts about choosing a life path? And this, I'm firing this at you off the cuff, so I, you know I'm not expecting you to be. Aristotle or something. But just what, what would be the first thing that come to your mind?
2: First thing is, don't you choose it, let God choose it for you, and you won't have to do it twice. That's the first thing. Um, you know, being full-time down here now, I, I, what if I would listen to the Lord when I was 20 years old, 21, 22, and I would, have, I would have had that relationship with Him? What couldn't He have
1: done? So you look back and you actually think that maybe your life would have been a little different, that you were listening to God a different way, I'll say six, seven years ago than you were early and when you were twenty twenty one.
2: Absolutely. I think um, I was very, again, consumed with self. What was I going to do? You know, worried about, you know, am I going to get married? Am I going to have a family? Am I going to earn a certain amount of money? And all the wrong things. I didn't grow up in a Christian home that way. So for me, it was about, you know, I have to provide, I have to do all these things. And, uh, you know, I watched my son who's 20 now, he's growing up and uh, Parker is, you know, he's a doing architecture in school and sophomore in college, and and he's got a totally different mindset. I mean, he isn't about planning. He is just enjoying watching the Lord establish his steps and then come, you know, just together, just taking those moments and steps of faith. I would encourage anyone not to get so pragmatic that you either get ahead of, you know, ahead of God or behind him, but just to really, you know, that, to live for just the time as this. This is the greatest time to ever be alive, to ever be serving the Lord. We are seeing so many things happen before us. This is crazy, exciting, amazing. And and I look at him and I'm like, man, to be 20, to be young and to have this all before you, knowing truth, there's no question anymore. There's not like a, hey, you know, what's really happening? Is this with the world? I mean, there's a clear dichotomy happening, you know, right now. Nobody can miss it. You're either with the Lord or you're not. You know, those that are with the Lord just, jump in the, just jump in the deep end. And I promise you, if you don't know how to swim, God is going to teach you to tread water. He is going to just do everything. And you're going to look back and go, the coolest part of that witness is you're going to look back and go, I don't know how any of this happened. I couldn't have done this on my own and praise God because he gets all the glory. And that's exactly how he likes to do it.
1: Yeah. So that goes with my next question. Um, I was just going to ask you, what advice do you have for someone who wants to serve God but isn't sure how? It sounds like that's sort of, you know, where your your mind was even just going there. Someone who just generally says, "I want to serve God," but they don't have any m- more concrete things to put to that. They're not sure what direction to go in. You probably have young people like that in your church.
2: When somebody comes to me and says, "What do you think I should do?" I say, "I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know. What are you asking me for? You know, I, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, but." Um, I always direct them back to Scripture, and I I just use the characters of Scripture. And and, in each and every one of them, um, I think of even Moses. He he didn't know. You know, he's out there with Jethro, you know, uh, under-shepherd. He he doesn't. He's caring for sheep. He has no idea God's going to send him in this. It starts by walking out of your house and going, you know, 50 steps to your left or 50 steps to your right. And, oh, by the way, bring a glass of water with you or a cup of coffee. You know, it doesn't have to, none of this was meant to be, when I was starting, and the Lord was, it wasn't about whether we're going to plan or establish a church. It was about, me. If it, I always said, if it was one soul, it would have been worth moving and everything for just one soul. That heart of compassion and love, right, especially in these last days, as Isaiah 5 says, they're calling evil good and good evil, and now we're seeing even the hearts of many growing cold and waxing cold. To be the member, to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, to go out there and just love somebody, and watch when you get in somebody's space <laughs> or you get in there there, you invest, earning the right to invest in their life. when you earn that right and watch how God opens the door and speaks through your lips and you don't even understand what he's saying at the moment, but he's just meeting somebody right where they are in that gap. and you start to see God moving in that. You just did, The most important thing you did, you answered the Great Commission, you were faithful. You did something far more valuable than maybe what Mm -hmm. I do every day or other people do. There was faithfulness in that. I said, that's how it begins. And then when you do that, you watch how God continues to ordain those steps.
1: When you walk 50 feet, he does something, like you said, to the right or the left, then if, if he's... If he's guiding you there, he's going to do the next thing to help you walk the other the next fifty feet.
2: Yeah, I think most people don't get out and do the first fifty feet. I think they're they're already looking. Well, man, if we're going to do a Bible, study, I got to have twenty five dollars. You know, or that's the world. That's man's thinking. It, it, it's just it, boy, it reeks of just man and, and intellectualism and humanism. And phew.
1: what advice would you give to young man specifically who says I want to be in pastoral ministry? or even I want to I want to plan a church but, but specifically just I think I'm called to be in pastoral ministry you know, I'm 20 years old or whatever what would you say to that guy
2: I'd say praise the lord all right so let's let's talk about that uh, w- are you looking to be a teacher cuz 5% of what a pastor does is what you see on a Wednesday or Sunday do you love the people do you love them is your heart sold out to them if it is then get after it then what are you waiting for? Because there's a whole lot of lost and dying people around you and there's a whole lot of people around you that need love. Go talk to your pastor and ask him, "Hey man, you know, is it all right if, you know, we have a small group or is it is it is it okay if I just go this weekend and go to the gas station and just hand out some bottles of water or something like that in the name of Jesus Christ and meet people where they're at or go into the neighborhoods and feed, you know, whatever I could do?" to just be the hands and feet as the Lord would lead me. That's how I would initially direct them. And I would just ask them the first thing to do is, how do you know? It's good to feel things, but your emotions are going to betray you. You need, you need concrete. And the very first thing I was taught by my pastor is confirm it in the Word of God. And so I went to the Word of God, and I remember the Lord gave me, um, I've got it, actually, if I grab my Bible right here, I got it dated. You know, I can go back to May fifteenth, two 2013, and I got Ezekiel chapter 2. And I remember my Pastor told me, and Jerry, you know, Pastor Jerry told me this. He said, there's going to be days that are good and bad. There's going to be days where you're going to be, what did I do? What am I doing? And you got to remember, when you look back to that passage, did the Lord release you? Did the Lord do anything to change that word he gave you? Your emotions change, your circumstances change, but your God never does. And so because of that, You know, how do you turn around and get in? You know, what do you do? So that's what I would tell a young man, you know, just to say, hey, if the Lord has put this on your heart, get after it. You don't need a major program, study, all this other stuff. Just start by looking to your left and your right, and then watch the Lord anoint those steps. Maybe even have a home Bible study. Again, but talk to your pastor and and be encouraged in that.
1: Yeah, and so... This is really the last thing I have to ask, and then i obviously open to any other final comments you want to make. What you just said was something I, d- I did want to hit on again for the for the small subset of the the listening population who might be young young men who who think about playing a church. There is a way that people say you need to plan a church these days, which includes focus groups and seed money, lots of money and buying a sound system and getting a graphic designer to design your logo and and have your website going. And, you, and like, it's a lot of machinery and a lot of money and a lot of way upfront planning before you, like that's the only way people know these days to start churches and our movement, Calvary, you don't need me to tell you because you're a living example. Calvary Chapel started the way you started your church. And sometimes people say, well, that worked in the 70s, but it doesn't work in the year 2020. And so what I love about your story is, you know, we're talking in the last five years or so, six years, just in that time frame, your story rolled out. So this is a, very much a sort of a leading question because I think I, I, we kind of already have your answer, but I think I hear you saying to, to, to people who say the only way to start a church is with all that money and all that machinery, that that's completely not necessary. And you're not saying it from a position of theory, but a position of you, you, you experienced it. You rolled up with a couple pieces of paper that you printed on your home printer in a city and tacked them up, and opened your Bible, and God showed that he really was leading you to drive that three-hour or whatever trip from your home to Harrisburg and teach the Bible study, because people came. I mean, am I encapsulating your story right? Like, when you hear about that way of planning a church, I think I know your answer, but what would you say to all that?
2: I'd say you're 100% right. That's exactly what's happened. It hasn't changed, you know. Um it's Isaiah 6, you know, it's that idea of, you know, who will stand up, who will do this for, here I am, Lord, use me. It's those moments that God is, he's still looking for men that'll stand up and say, yeah, Lord, use me. And, um, you know, I think those, to be honest with you, I think those things are a detriment. I hate to be so against them, and forgive me for for being just a blunt and transparent about it, But but let me explain why I believe that. You know, hindsight's Everything six years later, and I can tell you why. Because each step along that road of faith, those faith moments of Lord, wow, okay, now I'm leaving Microsoft. I have no security blanket. There's nothing. You know, this is this is you, Jesus, you and me, you and me as a multitude. If somebody had sent me out with fifty grand or twenty grand or five grand, I don't care what twenty-five dollars for that matter, they would have robbed me the opportunity for God to speak so powerfully into my life to confirm my steps. I knew a guy that uh, came out of a Calvary movement, uh, not terribly far. I I don't want to go into too much detail, but I watched it being done a different way than how I was raised in the movement and how many of us came through the movement. You know, I I think of Pastor Joe and Jerry, Pastor Bill, you know, Pastor Chuck, the way it was always done. And when I think about that, the, the reality of it was he was, you know, hey, who wants to go, you know plant a church you know the guy raises his hand he then turns around and he's like okay he's like all right we'll rent a building for you they rent a building for him he then turns around and he says okay we'll give you a little bit of a stipend a little salary they give him i don't know thousand dollars a month or something like that within three months i think it was three it could be four months the guy quits runs there was about five people coming and i thought what you just did the those flock that cheap even though there's five of them they just scattered you know is a hospital you just took people that needed help and now they're wrecked you've just wrecked them you you misrepresented god in this so certainly i'm not trying to judge the guy that did that because he that was in my opinion he wasn't led or, or properly pastored but the reality is that was stolen from him that was stolen it, it's exactly what we see in scripture when when god had commanded all the tribes of israel to go into the promised land and we know that the tribe of manasseh the tribe of, you know Half-tribe Manasseh, Gad, we we watch them. They want to stay on the eastern side of the Jordan because the grass is, you know, so beautiful. Everything is great. But you know what God was trying to do and protect them? Because the, the husbands end up going. Remember, Moses goes and says, hey, husbands, you're going to come. You made a commitment. You're coming over with the wives and the kids can stay there. I want you to see what they missed. What they missed was God literally taking the Jordan and, and even at its highest time of tide, bringing that water down and watching a church of Israel, two million people, walking across that, setting up memorial stones, going in and blowing trumpets, man. you got swords on your side. Why do you need a trumpet? They're blowing trumpets as they walk around Jericho, right, so that the city falls. Those women and those children that sat on the eastern side of that border that never crossed over, they miss to see the glory of God. They miss to see the providence of God. They miss to see the power of God moving heaven and earth to let him know that he loves you. He is in control and sovereign and he's going to do it. And man, I just thought that's exactly what could have happened to me. And that's what can happen to men today. And, and so that's why I'm a firm believer. You, you need Jesus, you and Jesus,
1: that, that says it. Matt, thank you so much. This was awesome. And I I am already uh, looking forward to getting this finished and releasing it out to our group and the people beyond that are listening to it. Thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for being a man who's willing to be faithful and answer the call of God. So
2: Praise the Lord, man. Love y'all.
1: Yeah, blessings to you and your family, your church, uh, That awesome group of people there in Harrisburg. God bless all you guys. And yeah, I think that's really it for us.
0: So. Yeah, man. Thank you.
2: Maranatha, guys.
1: Okay, so that was our interview with Matt, uh, Pastor Chapel Harrisburg. Tony, any first reactions or thoughts? You just you you hadn't actually heard him tell a story before, right? I've
0: never heard him tell the story. No. So first impressions for me, as a thirty year old uh, who is in ministry, who does feel called to pastoral ministry, is uh, not many people my age believe in what he said. Yeah. And I don't think that I'm making a sweeping statement by saying that. I think because I've talked to a lot of different people planning churches and or seen online different people that are my age or a little bit older planning churches. And what you just heard would just be like tossed out of a strategy session. Like before. that won't work. But yeah, like, like that's that. We're not. That is a horrible idea. That's like a we're,
1: non-plan.
0: Yeah, like the, that's a non-starter not happening, not doing that type of a thing. And the fact that... He has a church now that the Lord has blessed him with, I think is just a huge encouragement. Our current generation is very obsessed, I think is a proper word, with ambition and plans and how much you can actually work to achieve things. And that's in the secular culture, but now it's completely blended into young church planning culture like it's almost like a nonprofit startup business and you see a lot of guys promoting and reading books of ceos and things when they're trying to plan a church like this is the way that so-and-so started up their company and like you quote steve jobs and all this stuff and it's just interesting to think that somehow we've taken what the business world is and said well that's a really good model for planning a church yeah I don't know. For me it's personally encouraging because I've always felt very in tension with that. I've never really like been in the flow of like yeah, it is like a business and like you have to do all this stuff. I've felt very opposite. And because of that, oddly enough, I have felt ostracized in the in the way that I feel called to ministry which has actually inserted a lot of doubt in me and thinking like maybe I need to like change the way that I'm thinking about things like prior to listening to his testimony, if going out and trying to start a Bible study actually doesn't work. Like, am I a fool? You know what I mean? Like, is, is everybody else just figured out the right way to do things? Maybe the seventies was a revival and it was anointed and it's not now, but hearing someone who's actually still doing that and has actually succeeded, you know, past the year 1970 is is pretty sweet i was just thinking about you know everyone that's going to listen to this
1: and a lot of the people in our young adults group and just thinking about life well two things one wanting to do important things wanting to do things that matter and wanting to serve the lord assuming you're a follower of jesus christ what i love about matt's story and the way he has experienced it and the way he tells it is you have a i think a real healthy mix of things that seem separate but really are part of the same thing you know, if you noticed when he was speaking, his focus was all on waiting on the Lord, letting the Lord work, relying on the Lord. And that is how he thinks and how he lives. Um, and that's why he's not trying to make things happen with lots of plans. But if you actually listen to what he actually did, what waiting on the Lord looked like was noticing that he felt like he should go serve Jesus in Harrisburg understanding that it was, I think, between three and four hours away from him geographically. Four hours, yep. And then getting in his car, and he didn't tell this part of the story, but the first time I heard it, he did. With his family, and in his version of the story, he has a wife and kids, loading them up in a car and driving three to four hours one way, once a week, every week, to see if this would happen. So he's talking about waiting on the Lord and letting the Lord work, but what it actually looked like was eight hours of driving once a week, six to eight hours of driving and putting yourself out there. It'd be very easy to feel very dumb sitting in that $25 room with a piece of paper printed on a home printer that says Bible study and waiting to see what happens with Mm -hmm. no other plan. Mm -hmm. So waiting on the Lord was a very actually proactive thing, but it was a kind of proactivity. It was just an intention to put yourself out there and go serve God even if it might feel foolish or feel weak or even if it might actually be hard to accomplish and time-consuming and even co- you know cost-consuming in terms of you know gas money and everything. I don't have a lot of a plan. I'm not going to try to make this work. I'm not going to wait until I have everything figured out to go. But I'm going to do something that I know I could do. I could make this trip once a week, so I'm going to do it. And uh, waiting on the Lord looked like actually a lot of effort and a lot of putting yourself out there while being very conscious of the fact that what you were actually doing was waiting and hoping for God to work. If God will do this, then I'll be available. And I also like what he said about, you know, fifty feet to the right or fifty feet to the left, because for him it was driving hours and hours, but it was really a very small thing. You know, if it all falls apart, he just says, Isn't it funny how I used to drive to Harrisburg, you know, once a week? Yeah. Even though it was a big drive, it was a small first step. And when those two people came, he knew he needed to take the next step. And when it was twenty five people, it became obvious like okay, there's actually a couple more steps I need to take. And then when he's got 100 people and he's got to go have that great conversation with the guy at the hardware store, that conversation only happens if you took the first three or four small steps. Yes. If you first just drove down in your car to see what would happen if you went and walked around and talked to people about Jesus. Yes. And then if you said, well, I can do this one more time and hang up the sign, and then the people come. So you you can't... you we don't usually typically in the Lord's plan get the leapfrog in God's plan for our lives to the big thing. Like I got a hundred people and I need a place to meet or even "Ah, I need a 500 seat auditorium. Like you don't, it it doesn't get there right away. It gets there because you do the tiny small thing faithfully because you just got to do something because you just want to serve the Lord.
0: And I think what he said in there was big, which was in pastoral ministry specifically, showing that you're in the community and that you love the people. He yes. could have showed up with a 500-seat auditorium. Nobody knows him. Like, they don't know him from Adam. So why why should they go to his thing? But when two people come and he gets to have a conversation with them and then, like, share some stuff from the Word, those two people can be like, oh, this guy I just visited the other day. Like, I think he's coming back next week. Like, And then that organic growth wasn't just like, hey, I'm a really dynamic teacher. I need to go teach somewhere it was like i for some reason have a heart for the people of harrisburg two and for, at a time and for
1: these specific 20 people whose yes. names i know
0: yes which is what he said getting to know them learning about their lives it's a slow burn but like that's cool it'd be cool to do an interview with those first two or
1: five people because i i can only imagine that they were surprised when he showed up again this week they knew how far he was driving oh yeah they must have been like uh, wow you came back for five of us Clearly, it was a decent enough Bible study that they stayed and came back next week and brought three more people. So, A, he could teach the Bible in a way that five people wanted, like, I'll come back and listen to this next week. And they must have been impressed. And when it was 20, they must have been like, this guy drives with his family from four hours away to teach us a Bible study. Like, even just that, the way God orchestrated that must have meant something to them. And then when they realized, like, he's willing to move that, he's willing to relocate his life I can only imagine all those things are part of what God used to say to these people. Like, this is a real this is a real shepherd, real pastor. Yep. Now, again, not all of you are called to be pastors or plant churches, but I think that this has real application for anything you want to do in your life. Mm-hmm. I love how excited Matt is to be alive right now. And I fully agree with that. Do not let 2021, I assume that you're, it's 2021 when you're listening to this, it's 2020, best year ever when we're recording it. <laughs> do not let the, the way... The, the average person who doesn't know God feel about the times we're living in affect how you feel about the times we're living in because you are living in a completely different world than them. You're living in a world inhabited by God where Christ is coming back soon. And that is a different world to live in than a world where there's no God and no Messiah coming back. And all we have is whatever the government and big tech can figure out. Two different worlds In one world, you're going to be depressed and you're just going to pursue pleasure and probably feel like you have to do the minimum amount of risk and real activity just to protect your day to day. And in the other world, you're not going to be moved by what messes with other people and you're just going to go, oh, what does the Lord want me to do? Well, I know based on his word, he wants like any number of these five, six, seven, eight things and I could do one or two of them right here around the corner. I'm going to go do it and see what God does.
0: That's a good word. Yep. I got nothing to add to that.